Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. Bishop Frank has a special guest on with him today. His Excellency is speaking with Kerry Robinson, a partner at the Leadership Roundtable, who they are working to implement uh, best practices and accountability in the Catholic Church in America. They're focused primarily on the areas of um, finance, management, and communications. Um, Kerry also has authored a book titled Imagining Abundance, Fundraising, Philanthropy, and a Spiritual Call to Service. That conversation is coming up next on Let Me Be Frank, so keep it right here on 1350 AM. And keep your dial here throughout the week. As always, you can also listen anytime on your phone using the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app. The app is on the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at www.veritascatholic.com. We are bringing the truth to Connecticut and New York. When you're tired of listening to noise on the radio, put on Veritas and be fed. All right, welcome back everybody to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. As always, it is my great pleasure to begin by introducing Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Morning, Excellency. And my we, friend, we've gotten all the way to Memorial Day, right? Un, unbelievable. It's amazing. Unbelievable. Amazing. And everything mm-hmm. is opening up and warming up, mm-hmm. and we've got a fantastic guest on with us today. Oh, so, without a doubt. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, without uh, any delay, let me um, jump right into it and introduce Kerry Robinson. Kerry Robinson is the executive partner for global and national initiatives at Leadership Roundtable. She's a member of the Raskob Foundation for Catholic Activities and Foundations and Donors Interested in Catholic Activities. She has served as the Director of Development for St. Thomas More Catholic Chapel and Center at Yale University, where she led a successful $75 million capital campaign to expand Catholic life on campus. Kerry is the author of Imagining Abundance, Fundraising, Philanthropy, and a Spiritual Call to Service. And she and her husband, Dr. Michael Capello, have two children, Christopher and Sophie. And Carrie, it is our great pleasure to welcome you to the show. Thank you. It is such a joy to be on this fabulous podcast. Carrie, I am delighted that you found the time. You are one busy person to, <laughs> to be able to, to, to join me in the podcast. You know, you are one of the individuals I have tremendous respect for. You are involved in so many different aspects of the life of the church. And, you know, for the next hour, we're going to explore some of those for the benefit of our listeners. So let me just say thank you for being here. Oh, it's such an honor. And, and Carrie, so I, you and I have crossed paths many times over the years. So uh, I know a bit about your life. And yet even I would be interested, and I know our listeners would be extraordinarily interested, to hear about your life and your journey of faith. Um, Because the stories of our faith are really the substance of what keeps us united and moving forward. So the floor is yours. Tell us about Carrie. Oh, wonderful. Great, great opening question, too. I would say that, that the genesis of my faith lies in being born to a family that now has a 76-year history of serving the church at the local diocesan, uh, national, and international level. 
through the instrument of a private family foundation that was created by our great-grandparents, John and Helena Raskob. So in 1945, John and Helena pooled their resources, created a foundation, and had two intentions in mind. The first was that all of their resources would be used exclusively to benefit the Catholic Church in all of its apostolates and ministries anywhere in the world. And their second intention was that their children and descendants would be stewards of the foundation's resources. So we have five generations of our family now actively engaged as volunteers in a non-remunerative way. And from the earliest age, I was invited to see the church through the lens of ordained religious and lay leaders meeting the needs of a broken world and bringing faith and hope and mercy and care and education to uh, people all over the world, especially people who were suffering. And I remember looking at them through my child's eye and thinking, I want to be like them. They see the worst of what humankind does to one another and to our common home, the earth. And yet they're always every day faithfully responding to meet that suffering, to, to show people hope and the, and the love of, of Christ. And they did it with this palpable sense of joy, despite what they saw. And I just remember Bishop thinking, I want to be like them, but I'll never be that holy, that selfless. And so as I grew up, I began to pray, God, please let me do something with my life that might positively impact the life-giving ministry of these childhood heroes and heroines of mine. And I think God has consistently answered that prayer. I've been invited into all kinds of of ministries that support and strengthen the church, that support and strengthen church leaders by bringing and harnessing both Catholic philanthropic capital and Catholic intellectual capital. And in so doing, I have grown so much in my faith, in my appreciation and love for the church, and uh, in it has restored my my hope in humankind as well. What a tremendous journey my gosh and it illustrates carrie does it not the importance of our families informing us and giving us a vision of faith absolutely um, yeah I, I was just struck 1945 was the end of the second world war yes right yes. so the world was literally i mean europe was decimated completely in shambles and yet the vision of is your grand is your grandparents who My found great it? Oh, great grandparents great grandparents who to, for their vision to be able to see beyond what was in front of them and to be able to vision and imagine a future that would be centered in faith and values in collaboration in work is tremendous it's it's almost prophetic right in yes. many ways Yes, mm -hmm. we have often regarded our great-grandfather, John Raskob in particular, as prescient. We use this word to describe him because if we back up even before the establishment of the Raskob Foundation, he was chairman of the political party when Al Smith, the first Catholic, 
was running for president. Oh, and he um, and he was. Uh, of course, Al Smith lost that election. He couldn't go back to being governor of New York. And he was despondent. And John Roskep said, don't despair, my friend. I have a new idea. Now, this is, remember, that election was 1928. So mm -hmm. John Roskep's new idea was to build and finance the world's tallest building. And he said to his friend, and you, my friend, will be appointed president of that corporation, president of the world's tallest building. And then he announces his intentions and the stock market crashes. It's the end of the world in 1929. No one expects John Raskob to, to keep his, his word and build and finance the world's tallest building. But he does, and he appeals to elements of our faith, particularly solidarity. He, he, for, he tried to employ as many men as possible in building this, and he formed teams of, of four so that if any one worker got sick, they would all still be paid. And consequently, this mm. building broke all records, and uh, it, both in terms of time and materials and just it's an extraordinary story. So he perseveres despite the economic conditions, despite the fact that this building in New York City would take 40 years to become fully occupied. He had this sense of looking into the future, examining whether this was the right thing to do in the here and now, and if his intentions were sound, he knew some good would come of it, and what it would require was tenacity. And we're so grateful that he did because this building is the Empire State Building. I thought it was. And it, and it mm. was the, the um, selling of the Empire State Building, which seeded the Raskob Foundation for Catholic Activities and thus involved generations of his family in serving the church and delving much more deeply into the life of the church through, through this instrument. What a remarkable story. What a remarkable story of vision. You know, what struck me, uh, two things, as it's, the first is we are in a pivotal moment, which I'd like to talk with you about later on in our, in our podcast, coming out of the pandemic. And what's the vision or visions we need to embrace to use all of this suffering and all of the collateral damage that so many people have endured as an opportunity for rebirth and growth. I think it's all about vision. It's about tenacity. It's about just the way you described it, not building a building, but building a new chapter in the life of the church. And I would very much want to hear later on what your thoughts about that are. What, what is the vision that animates your heart as we come out of the pandemic? Terrific. But before we do that, Kerry, you said something extraordinarily insightful and important when you spoke of the philanthropic capital and the intellectual capital. Could you explain to us why both are important? Yeah, so I've spent a lot of time with this curious word stewardship. It was part of our family's legacy. We understood ourselves to be invited into serving the church by being stewards of the Raskob Foundation's uh, assets and, and making wise and prudent investments philanthropically in the church. 
And one definition of stewardship is the proper care of all that has been entrusted to one. But I think for the Christian, for the, for the Catholic person of faith, it requires more. It, it asks of us to also recognize and act upon the potential at hand, particularly if we see that, that bringing potential to fruition will be consonant with, with our faith, will benefit others, will bring people closer to God's mercy and peace and reconciliation. So often we see a good idea, we recognize potential, but we say, oh, I've got too many responsibilities. That, that's somebody else's job. I think for the, for the Catholic believer, we are called to be stewards of potential. And that really led into um, an appreciation for this insight. Humankind's birthright is generosity. And it doesn't matter how materially wealthy or poor one is, we all have something to contribute and we're all called to contribute, to, to bless the lives of others with what has been given to us by God. And so this, this sense of, you know, in, in my own prayer life, praying about generosity, praying about being a catalyst to inspire generosity in others, which is the flip side of the philanthropic coin. It's, it's the fundraising side. I see that as a virtuous ministry to be a catalyst to inspire generosity in others. But often when we think in terms of philanthropy or fundraising or stewardship, we only think about dollars or lira or euros. <laughs> and nice. we don't mm -hmm. think about the broad breadth of assets any one of us is endowed with. So when, when the church in 2002 in particular was reeling from the abuse crisis and the, you know, the, the spotlight on, on abuse, and all of my heroes and heroines in the church were, were heartbroken and, and demoralized and angry, and we were all just in, uh, kind of a low-grade depression. What are we going to do here? It was at that moment that we recognized, in the United States in particular, laity um, have risen to levels of affluence and influence, and they count um, among the highest echelons of leadership in every sector. Just witness the Supreme Court and the number of Catholics serving on the Supreme Court. But they, they account for um, CEOs and uh, really every industry. And so we're no longer solely an immigrant church in the United States, no longer solely an immigrant church. And recognizing the expertise, particularly when it came to management, to finances, to communications, to technology, uh, human resource development, management, we thought if we could prevail upon the leadership expertise and financial acumen of the senior Catholics in this country to help strengthen the management of people, finances, property, and, and 
uh, resources for the church. We would be making a contribution that is significant and meaningful. Uh, and that, that idea of marrying Catholic philanthropic capital with Catholic intellectual capital to benefit and strengthen the church became the driving mission, really, of Leadership Roundtable. Right, right. Which has done a tremendous job of service, just as you described, to, to every level of leadership in the church. And I personally... Um, have been greatly blessed by the interaction with the Leadership Roundtable and the advice that I have received, both in Brooklyn and now here in Bridgeport. Um, whether our listeners realize it or not, it is a hidden gem that many bishops have become better stewards precisely because of the assistance that the Leadership Roundtable gives. Um, it, you know, when you were speaking, Carrie, I, I reflect on my own ministry. And of course, now I'm beginning my ninth year in Bridgeport, which is amazing. Wow. Right? Wow. It's amazing how time goes by. Gosh. And if I were to, if I were to articulate, which is always a dangerous thing for me to do, um, what I would consider to be um, a primary obstacle to moving the diocese forward, I would term it in this way. We have an imagination deficit. And when you spoke about the intellectual capital, um, to be able to see the potential, there is, I think not just in Bridgeport, but in many places, perhaps most places, there is this complacency that sets into the life of the church that we kind of get by, we're doing okay, you know, we, we, we measure our success, quote-unquote, perhaps by the number of people at Mass or young people in our youth group, whatever it may be. But unlike the sculptor who looks at a block of marble and can vision what its potential is and then affects it, right, slowly, but affects it, um, many people are having difficulty, I think, visioning what could be. Um, and that's a function of imagination. It's very Ignatian, right? Yes. And, and, you know, I wonder what your thoughts about that and how do we, how can we motivate people to realize that stewardship, that you may not be wealthy, but you have wealth of other forms that you can share, including the gift of uh a sacred imagination that can begin to vision different things and then put your hand to the plow to make it happen. So I guess I'm asking you, if you were in my position, like how would you navigate that? How, do you have any suggestions or even for our listeners, how do we get beyond that complacency? First of all, that was beautifully stated. Uh, I would continue to to state it just like that and weave it into your your masterful homilies. I was at your installation when nine years ago. It was such a joyful occasion for Bridgeport. I even to this day remember your homily, Bishop. It was just just wonderful. You you played on being a bridge builder in Bridgeport. Just beautiful. So you're, you're t talking about a theme that, that I speak a little bit about in my book, Imagining Abundance. You're exactly right. And people of faith should know this more than others, 
some things have to be believed before they can be seen. When mm -hmm. we when we were uh, setting out to expand Catholic life on Yale's campus, you know, one of the world's great universities, Father Bob Boulogne, the Catholic chaplain, and I uh, were tasked with raising money and building a Catholic student center and endowing the ministry. Now, it sounds easy at this end of, of the work, you know, <laughs> once all the hard work has been done. Uh, and and I, I think a listener might say, well, Yale, it's filled with all these wealthy alums. But the fact of the matter was Yale had a quota system in place to keep Catholics and Jews to a minimum. So our Catholic population was much smaller than the Catholic alumni population today. Secondly, we, uh, St. Thomas More at Yale is at Yale, not of Yale. It, is, it has its own independent, predominantly lay board of trustees. I like to think of it as having one foot in the Archdiocese of Hartford and one foot in the University of Yale. And it was in complete debt when Father Bob arrived on the scene. They had the board, again, predominantly lay and smart, had responded to fiscal crisis by reducing programs, by reducing staff, by just tamping down, which is exactly the opposite of what we're called to do when we are responsible for evangelization, for extending the, the public ministries of our church. It's exactly the opposite of what we're called to be as, as Catholics. So our task was monumental. And everyone told us why we would not succeed. And they were very articulate. They had great vocabulary words and were pretty convincing. <laughs> and yet, when we prayed about this, we realized the consequence of our action now is enormous. We didn't look at this as a job to raise money or even a job to give Yale one more thing to be properly proud of. What we saw in this invitation was two things. First, Father Bob and I could model lay clergy collaboration and to do it exceedingly well. Second, when successful, we would bring to fruition a Catholic intellectual and spiritual center of consequence that would enable Catholics coming to Yale from all over the world, 25% of Yale's population identifies as Catholic today. They will, at Yale's campus, be um, cultivate an adult mature life of faith, the better to incorporate their faith in every aspect of their future leadership. And when successful, we would help raise the bar of Catholic campus ministry all over the United States, if not the world. We had to imagine what that looked like. We had to see into the future and picture in, in even in granular detail what the facilities would look like, what the programmatic activity would look like. We had to envision uh, taking one mass every Sunday 
and adding two masses to the Sunday schedule and daily mass to the sun Sunday schedule. And we had to imagine innovative programs that would speak to the attendant intellectual and emotional and social and spiritual expectations of this brilliant, brilliant set of students. And persevering in that, in imagining, imagining a better uh, Catholic center, a more welcoming and vibrant ministry was our, the fuel that allowed us to get up every morning and get to work. Wow, what a tremendous odyssey. And it, um, it just reinforces what my heart has always believed is that um, planning from scarcity leads to greater scarcity. Planning from <laughs> yes. abundance leads to greater abundance. I mean, it's, you have to dare people to believe that the, that the status quo is not necessarily what God wants. You know, one of the things that just resonates with me, and perhaps after our break we could talk about it if, if, if you wish, uh, we need in the church desperately, desperately, to reimagine what success really looks like because we've come out of a time, at least in our neck of the woods, we've come out of a time when we have become very institutionalized and success is, is, can be measured in dollars and numbers. And yet if we're truly missionary, there's a whole new spectrum standards by which success really can be measured. And it demands a lot more personal courage, personal sacrifice, planting seeds that others may see grow. And I think part of the reluctance of people is to let go of what they think is success. But we can yes. talk about that later on as well. Yeah. Great. What a great conversation. Thank you. Let me jump in for a moment here. Um, you are listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Bishop Caggiano is speaking with a special guest, Carrie Robinson of the Leadership Roundtable. And we will be right back. Catholic Radio Works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. We are picking up on a conversation between Bishop Caggiano and Kerry Robinson, who is executive partner at the Leadership Roundtable and author of the book, Imagining Abundance. Excellency, Kerry, take yeah, it away. Absolutely. You know, Kerry, you and I share many interests. And one I think that we share ministerially is young adults and engaging young adults in the life of the church. Um, which has always been um, both a challenge and opportunity. And now coming out of the pandemic, I believe it is a golden opportunity to engage young adults. So you have had long history, both at Yale and so many other ministerial endeavors. So how do you assess the state of young adults um, generally and in the church and any advice, any thoughts in regards to how we can engage them effectively? Yeah, wonderful question. I, I think this is a matter of urgency for anyone who cares about the health and vitality of our church. 
we we know the statistics. You know, there they, we know that uh, many young adults are uh, leaving the church or apathetic, and yet this is our best educated generation that we've ever had, and th- it, it is incumbent upon us to do everything we can to ensure that the church is a welcoming place for young adults. Now, I've been laboring with this my entire life. I myself am a product of the fact that people invested in me. They saw something in me, even as a teenager, and they invited me into meaningful leadership on behalf of the church and church institutions at a very young age. So that, I think, is a clue. We can't wait until people are in their 50s to then think maybe they would be a good board member for our Catholic charity, or maybe now that they're in their 60s, they would make a good member of a diocesan finance council. We need to look at young adults right now and recognize how important and impactful their contribution as leaders uh, will be, can be uh, in positions of leadership. So, so this led uh, Father Bob and Jeff Boisey, who's the founder of Leadership Roundtable, and me to create a national young adult leadership formation program called ESTEEM, Engaging Students to Enliven the Ecclesial Mission. A little pretentious name, but oh, wow. esteem everybody remembers. <laughs> and we we uh, brought young adults to the table to help create esteem. One thing about Leadership Roundtable, we always hold ourselves accountable to emulating what we advocate. And so, if we were going to be creating a young adult leadership formation program we better have young adults at the table helping us create this. The whole point of of esteem is to have Catholic campus ministers personally invite promising young adults who are experiencing the church at the university setting. And they're experiencing the best of the church either because they're at a great Catholic university like Fairfield or Sacred Heart in your diocese, or they're at a a non-Catholic university like Yale that has invested in Catholic campus ministry has a great Newman Center. So these these promising, bright, uh, wonderful young adults are invited by the campus minister into a year-long curriculum through esteem, which is a crash course in ecclesiology, canon law, uh, Catholic social teaching, things as basic as what is a diocese? What is the relationship to parishes, to one another, and and to the chancery, et cetera? And it opens their mind to the full breadth and depth of the church in action and all of the different ways one might serve the church as a leader, regardless of ordination status. So it's, it's knowing that most of these students will... Uh, remain lay, and some some through esteem discern vocations to religious life or to the priesthood. Most remain lay, but 
that is not an excuse to not involve them as leaders in the church. And our vision is to equip every Catholic entity, parish, diocese, nonprofit, school, with at least two young adults serving in an advisory capacity on the board, on the diocesan finance council, on the parish pastoral council, etc. When young adults see other young adults in leadership and know their voice matters, their perspective matters, it will do, go a long way to communicating how essential young adults are to, to the life of the church. Extremely important. My goodness, the urgency I second wholeheartedly, even in the Diocese of Bridgeport, our infant baptisms are just about half of what they were 15 years ago. And that is a direct product of young adults who have not been engaged, who now are raising families, who do not see the imperative um, to baptize their young children or their infants. Um, and imagine in 15 years, if we do not start engaging effectively, what that can mean, right? So yes. I absolutely agree, it's urgency. There's one thing I would want to uh, bounce off of you for your reflection. In my experience, um, young adults, particularly young adults in their 20s and 30s, um, are of that generation that is not afraid to wrestle with the things that are proposed to them. Wrestle in the sense of ask questions, to be able to explore and appropriate it in a really personal way. You know, when I was young, we basically were told, this is what you believe, and you believed it, and there were questions and doubts that came along, but you would never articulate them in public. Oh my goodness, never. <laughs> Until I went to Regis. It's one of the great gifts the Jesuits gave me in creating the religious imagination that I have now. Um, they were not afraid. In fact, they welcomed the questions. They provoked the questions. Yes. And in the wrestling with the questions, I began to really understand a heck of a lot more than I thought I understood because it revealed the things I did not understand, quite frankly, things initially that, that made no sense to me that, you know, were very hard to accept in life. So, so there's, there's a dearth, if I could put it, of, of courage in many places, parishes, schools, to invite the questions without fear. Right. For the truth right. is the truth. Right. Um, is, is that your experience, too, in, in helping uh, these young adults to get more involved? They need their questions entertained and answered? A hundred percent correct. Yes. In fact, a driving uh, component of our work on Yale's campus was to elevate and celebrate Catholic intellectual discourse. I mean, think about it. We have this rich intellectual tradition. What we wanted to do, given the diversity of Yale's Catholic students, diverse in every respect, coming from all over the world, and also diverse in terms of their level of catechesis upon arriving at, on Yale's campus, we knew it was imperative to help them cultivate a moral vocabulary, to be able to talk about their faith at the level of university discourse. Otherwise, 
they would shy away from conversations. It would become facile. So cultivating a, a, a Catholic vocabulary, advancing, attending to their, to their cognitive appreciation of the faith, and then taking the topics of the day, whatever those topics are, illuminating them from the perspective of faith, and inviting students into a rich debate, discussion, discourse, argumentation about the centrality of faith in the important topics of today was the, the best form of evangelization that mm -hmm. we, we had at our disposal, coupled, I might add, with something you also share, which is a, evincing a profound joyfulness a joyfulness and a, and a confidence that no matter how difficult life is, no matter how difficult the problems the church is facing are, we are, we are called to be people of faith or confident in the future, confident in the future. Uh, so uh, that is absolutely uh, central, central insight, I think, to uh, really engaging young adults today. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention, now that we are talking about this, that um, one of the young women who has impressed upon me these themes so clearly and effectively is a young woman I have mentored for many years now who has just been appointed the national coordinator of esteem. And that is also a good friend of yours, Bishop Frank, yes, Nicole yes, Perone Grasso. <laughs> yes. yes, she is. And she's, and she's doing marvelous work. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what I have also found is the struggle, um, the struggle, if I may put it in parentheses, the wrestling with questions is now gone through teenage years into middle school years. That... Mm the same dynamic is causing disaffiliation among teenagers in the church and even middle, middle age, you know, the middle school children, because they have questions. St. Mary's Press, going, going, gone. That was the premise of the entire study. Yes. Um, so, so isn't it fortuitous then, an act of grace, that Pope Francis has instituted a formal ministry of catechist? Yes. <laughs> because would not the catechist be the one who creates the safe space where you present the faith and then allow people to digest it intellectually, emotionally, personally, answer the questions so that the fire can be lit? I mean, isn't that That's right? Absolutely. Talk about timing, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. It's amazing. He clearly, he clearly is attending to the signs of the times and interpreting mm -hmm. them as a good prophet mm -hmm. does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you said something else, too, which uh, piqued my, uh, my attention very much, because as the uh, chair of the board of CRS, Catholic Relief Services, which is, for me, is a great honor to, to serve in that capacity, even though, ironically, um, I began my tenure at the time when the world closed down. So I have not traveled to any place <laughs> in the world for CRS. Hopefully, before my tenure ends, I'll be able to, but that's neither here nor there. But but Catholic social teaching is the hidden treasure of our, of our faith for young adults. Yes, yes. And so little is known of it. 
and yet so much can entice them, excite them, motivate them, because there's such a deep desire in so many young people to make a difference, positive difference for goodness in the world. And the church has it laid out. Right. 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 Yes. And, and, yes. And no one speaks of it. It just amazes me. Yeah. It's, it, without it, I cannot imagine what my life would be like. I, I doubt I would be working so intimately and intentionally on behalf of the church. It has been from the beginning to the present, a motivating factor in, in and, and a point of, of enormous pride. I'm proud of our church because of its contribution through Catholic social teaching and Catholic social teaching in action, um, that contribution that, that we are making to the world. In fact, I often say that I uh, unapologetically love the church despite knowing its challenges and its, its failures as, a, as mm -hmm. both a divine and human institution. The, its explicitly religious mission has formed the, the person, the, the woman that I am. But the fact that it is the largest humanitarian network in the world renders me forever committed to its health and vitality. It's, it's a driving rationale for working to bring Leadership Roundtable resources to the church because Leadership Roundtable does not delve into doctrinal matters. We only focus on helping the management of people and facilities and finances. And if we can strengthen the church universally, imagine how much better equipped it will be to continue to meet these common challenges that, that are very serious and that, as the Pope continuously reminds us, are all of our challenges, whether it's forced migration, war, poverty, oh inequity. Absolutely, absolutely. V vaccine inequality. Exactly. Well, the, parts of the world are literally, uh, India is in a humanitarian catastrophe, catastrophe. And yes. yet the developed world has more vaccine than it actually needs now. And yeah, and it has profound implications in the lives of people who are no different than you and me. Yes. And we reduce it to simply a headline in some sort of posting somewhere online where we just happen to glance at it and forget that these are real people with real names and real histories and real families who are just left aside. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's just simply, it is, it is simply unbelievable. And, and, and this leads to another area that I know is very dear to you and that you have had tremendous impact on. And you spoke about it before, but if I may just um, segue it this way, the challenges we face societally, economically, and socially are so great that there is no way Christians can make effect a true hopeful change unless they draw arms and arm together. Yes. That is the clergy, the religious, and the laity exercising leadership together in their proper roles so that we could have a united witness to the world. And 
lay leadership and collaborative ministry, I know, is also an essential piece to that. You have spoken about it. You model it. Any thoughts you want to share about that? That that remains a, a, a task that is not fully completed by any stretch of the imagination. Your thoughts? No, it, it isn't completed, but it's an, an amazing, hope-filled invitation to all of us at this moment in time. All of us want the church to thrive. We want to restore trust in the church. We, we want the church to be the paragon of ethical management and stewardship of its resources. Why? Because we love the church, but also because the church is God's gift to a broken world. And the more we can rally the clarion call to all of the baptized to be good stewards on behalf of the church, to lend their expertise, to invest their resources, to invest their time in the church, to help imagine what the church can look like and how it can be a welcoming, vibrant, uh, beneficial presence in the world that so desperately needs the church to be at its best, a beacon of hope, a, a constant reminder of God's love for us, a source of reconciliation and healing. Uh, all of that requires everyone to be invested and to work co-responsibly. You know, diversity is also a topic that's often bat, bat, batted around. I really, really believe in the virtue and the value of diversity. If you think about it, each one of us is myopic. We only know what we know. And when, when we extend it to our own narrowly defined group, whatever that group might be, we're still myopic as a group. We really need the diversity of perspectives and opinions and, and civil discourse to analyze challenges more completely and to come up with better solutions. We need to solve for our myopia. Now, it can't be entered into with vitriol and prejudice and, uh, and, and disharmony. There has to be a reminder to see Christ in all people, to, to uh, an extension of the benefit of the doubt in the other. As presume goodness in one another, have candor and charity be the ground rules for discourse, but really trying to ensure that we are in diverse settings when analyzing challenges and coming up with solutions is critical. And, and we could take any topic, any current challenge of the church and apply that principle to make the mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, on the podcast, I've often, you know, explored this notion of tribalism on social media mm. and how it has wow. influenced the life of the church and how it has weakened the unity of the church precisely because we are not doing what you just described. <clears throat> right? That, in fact, the civil discourse also needs to live in the life of the church because the, the, our tradition is so rich and so varied and so diverse that there are many legitimate ways 
to express the faith, particularly in worship and in custom and in devotional life and in language, that when we forget that, then we're playing right into the hands of the father of evil who specializes in division. So what you just yes. said very beautifully is exactly what is needed in the life of the church. And I must say this, I think for any cleric who is listening to this, good priests and good bishops in the abuse crisis were not just humbled, in many ways we were humiliated by what happened. And humiliation, as difficult as that is to endure, does allow for true humility to be born out of it. Yes. But one of the recognitions I have come to is that being a bishop, priest, whatever, there are individuals to whom I cannot be the person to be the bringer of good news. Mm. There is too much hurt, woundedness, too much collateral damage. So for the clerics who are listening, who have any doubt about the need for the laity to assume leadership in the church, to be their evangelists and catechists, well, it is to them that the door is open. They can make that outreach that we, for this season of our, the life of the church, perhaps we are not able to do. So that is the Lord saying clearly that there are many voices now to rally the, the family of faith to move forward and to help heal it, just like you said so beautifully. So collaborative ministry, in my mind, is, is not optional. It's the only way we can move forward. Mm, beautiful. Yes. Amen. Right. Um, we just have just, I think, I got the signal. We only have about two minutes left. But there's one thing I do want to just uh, perhaps end with, and that is we have lived through this terrible pandemic. It's just awful. And we've spoken about it you privately on so many different ways. We've all been talking about it for 15 months. And yet I've, I believe there is opportunity, many opportunities born out of that suffering. So from your own perspective, uh, is there any, anything you want to point out to say, you know what, listeners, bishop, all of us, let's seize this opportunity coming out of the pandemic. Anything come well, to mind? Yes, Bishop Frank. As a matter of fact, I just happened to have Pope Francis's new book, Let Us Dream, The Path to a Better Future, by my side. And I, I want to just, if I can, just read this mm -hmm. tiny excerpt because it so encapsulates my heart and, what, what, and the solution going forward. So Pope Francis says beautifully, now more than ever, what is revealed is the fallacy of making individualism the organizing principle of society. What will be our new principle? We need a movement of people who know we need each other, who have a sense of responsibility to others and to the world. We need to proclaim that being kind, having faith, and working for the common good are great life goals that need courage and vigor while glib superficiality and the mockery of ethics have done us no good. The modern era, which has developed equality and liberty with such determination, now needs to focus on fraternity, and I might add sorority, with the same drive and tenacity to confront the challenges ahead. 
fraternity mm -hmm. will enable freedom and equality to take its rightful place in the symphony, end quote. That is so prophetic for this moment in time. If anything taught us that we are all connected, that we are one human family, it is the global lockdown of COVID-19 and the, mm -hmm. the importance of vaccinating the world. Mm -hmm. Well said. What a beautiful way to end our, our time together, Carrie. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Tremendous. Hey. Amen. It this is, is it has been a joy. I thank you so much, Bishop Frank, for your leadership, for this podcast, for your friendship. Oh, my pleasure, and I, 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 it's reciprocal sentiments on my part. And I am am going to reach out to invite you to come into Bridgeport. I have I have some some favors to ask <laughs> based on our conversation. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Uh, in the meantime, we're going to take uh, one final break. This is uh, Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Bishop Caggiano has been talking with Kerry Robinson, who is with the Leadership Roundtable and author of the book, Imagining Abundance. And we will be right back. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody is sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, uh, our emailed question came in last week, and here it is. It's from um, Rebecca. Dear Bishop Frank, I'm getting ready for my confirmation. I know I'll receive the Holy Spirit. How is this different from when I received the Holy Spirit during my baptism? Am I receiving the Spirit twice? Well, first of all, Rebecca, it's a tremendously insightful question, right? And I'm, and I'm proud that you, that you are discerning the importance of what's going to be given to you. But the truth is, the name of the sacrament, confirmation, gives us a hint to the answer. Because what is being confirmed but your baptism? And the gift of the Holy Spirit who came upon all of us when we were baptized, right? We become a temple of the Spirit's dwelling and we receive the gifts of faith, hope, and charity and our sins are forgiven. The Spirit never leaves us. But as we grow older and the, the, the challenges of our lives change, we have an opportunity for ourselves to affirm what was affirmed for us by our godparents when we were infants. So we confirm our faith and the Spirit is given to us in a greater abundance and God the Father confirms His love for us, having first received it in baptism and receiving it again. So yes, you receive it twice, but the truth is we are always receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit all throughout our life. So thank you for the question. And hopefully I'll be the one to confirm you, please God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you have a question for Bishop Frank, you can post it on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. You can find Bishop Frank Caggiano on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Veritas Catholic Network is there too. And so is the Leadership Roundtable. They're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and on the web at leadershiproundtable.org. And Kerry Robinson's book, is called Imagining Abundance, 
Fundraising, Philanthropy, and a Spiritual Call to Service. It's published by Liturgical Press, and you can find it wherever you like to go to buy your books. Carrie, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. It was a joy and a privilege. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Carrie. You, you are in my prayers. God bless all the work that you do. It's a tremendous gift to the church. And uh, excellent, uh, Excellency, before we go, can you bless all of us? Of course, sir. We have to. Thank you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, you have given us the gift of your Spirit so that we might be your hands and feet and voice and heart in the world. Despite the challenges we face, give us joyful hearts. Give us robust imaginations. Give us courage of heart that we may use the opportunities before us to grow in personal holiness and invite those around us, our sisters and brothers, to grow in holiness, unity, encouragement, and joyful peace. Bless this day and all that we do, for we ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Steve, my friend, I'll see you next week. Thanks, Excellency.